You shall not pass. Unless you tell me the answer to the riddle you asked me before. Riddle? What's green hangs on a wall and whistles, remember? Oh, right, yeah. So, you give up then? Kind of. Not really. I mean, I'm sure I'll know it when you tell me what it is. It's a herring. But a herring isn't green. You can paint it green. But a herring doesn't hang on a wall. You can nail it to a wall. But a herring doesn't whistle. I just put that in to stop it from being too obvious. Hello and welcome to the Bad Princess Movie Podcast. This is the podcast that seeks to catalogue all of the terrible movies about princesses and princesses to be. I am Christy and I'm here with my friend and co-host Brie. Why, hello there. And today, for Halloween, we are taking a look at Mirror Mask. This is technically not quite a princess movie, but I think it kind of works. There's a princess involved. Yeah, kind of. someone, someone's yeah. mistaken for... I guess the princess is the villain. Okay. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that works. So it's a princess movie. I, yeah. I think it works. It, it counts. It's, if if anything, it's just giving me another opportunity to talk about something Jim Henson related. In yeah, the last there you year. go. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I appreciate that. Not really any puppets in this one, but you know, no, still, still connected to uh, to still made by the Jim Henson company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is a really interesting one for me because so. I, a big part, again, why I kind of slightly bending the rules for this podcast so that we could talk about this is that I'm a big fan of Jim Henson and specifically of Labyrinth. And Mirror Mask was created specifically because the Jim Henson company was interested in making a film that I guess would, they saw how well Labyrinth and the Dark Crystal were doing in video releases. Mm. And they wanted something similar. And so Mirror Mask has been described as a spiritual successor to Labyrinth. Uh, Mm. And really what that means is that I am the target demographic (laughs) for this film. (laughs) And therefore what I say about it is law. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And what I say about it is that it's it's okay. Uh (laughs) I... You, you've kind of hinted a little bit before we got into this podcast that you had a hard time with this one. It was just, I mean, I wouldn't say it's bad necessarily, mm-hmm. but it was a film that I got kind of bored halfway through and it's, it's yeah. not, didn't really grip me visually. The story is fine. Um, yeah. The style is unique and interestingly executed and quite ugly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so we should say, um, as Bree said, there's not really a lot of practical effects, not that you, so, which is pretty different from what you would expect from a Jim Henson production. This film was basically almost entirely done on a technically it was a blue screen but it you know for the sake of verbal ease it was a green screen yeah you know 
we're all familiar with green screen terms, but it was a green screen stage and all of the environments are CGI. And mm-hmm. as you said, it creates, it's an interesting look, but I, yeah, I, I have some points about how they did the green screen that I'll have to bring up mm. during the discussion, but it, yeah, it's not the easiest film to look at. No. The pace of it is not quite figured out. It's, yeah, no. it does take <laughs> a little long. Um, and that's, I, I guess I should say, I, like, I, I definitely agree with you. And actually the first time that I watched Mirror Mask, I really did not care for it. Um, I think basically because of all of the points that you said. Yeah. Uh, I remember watching it with a uh, couple of friends and we were all very like, like, oh, like this feels kind of dry and this is taking a long time to really get anywhere. Um, this last viewing, I did find myself getting into it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like, I, I guess this is one of those films where it's like, I like the potential Oh yeah, like there's there's parts about this that are really neat. Like the the story is by uh Neil Gaiman. What's the guy's name? Neil Gaiman and the other the other guy's name that I can't remember. It was like co-written uh, by the two directors. So Dave McKean, who Dave McKean is Dave McKean uh, he did the illustrations for some of Neil Gaiman's uh, books, uh, so Coraline yeah. probably being the best, yeah. most famous example. Makes sense. <laughs> uh, but it it it's got that it's got that Neil Gaiman story to it. Like you can feel the Neil in this, <laughs> and that's not a bad thing, especially if no. you know what you're getting into. Um, it it feels like a Neil Gaiman sort of young person spooky story which is fine but it's just the combination of how it's shot and how it's told and how it's displayed for the the viewer and the pace is just i don't think it quite worked for me yeah i think this is this is one of those films where I, I wish that it could have maybe gone through a bit more, another, like, round or two in the development process, because this mm. is, like, it just feels like it, it needed to be polished up a little more, just tightened up mm. a bit, and then it would have been, like, really solid, at least story-wise. I I don't know what they could have done to really polish up the, the <laughs> CGI at this point in time, because this was, this was 2005, this yeah. was... Kind of that like awkward adolescence of CGI, and I don't remember if the Jim Henson Company did much in the way of CGI at that point in time. Well, you know, I oh. <laughs> am a big fan of the Jim Henson Company's sci-fi space show Farscape, <laughs> and well, most of those are actually practical effects for like the the aliens and such. There's definitely some early baby CGI in there, and I can see where they got from from that to this. Yeah, I mean, and there's like the early CGI in Labyrinth as well, like right in the beginning of the movie with the uh, the yeah. barn owl. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm just gonna say I'm gonna probably sneak in a lot of references to Labyrinth during this you? podcast. I you yeah. talk about labyrinth? I know. It's Impossible. Very, very surprising. 
This is this is like the closest. <laughs> this is the closest I'm going to get to be able to talk about labyrinth on this podcast. So I got to try I mean, and squeeze it in. Always your birthday, but it doesn't count. She doesn't turn into a princess or like become a princess. I mean, it's close enough. Uh, I I, I as your co-host give you permission to talk about <laughs> <laughs> labyrinth. <laughs> We'll we'll see. I just it feels like we'll such see. a stretch. Eh, we've stretched but before. We very true. But <sighs> hey, hey, Christy, do you want to try and explain the story of Mirror Mask? <laughs> yeah, I'll try. This was one I'll say right off the bat. This summary is not as succinct as some of my other ones because it was kind of oh hard. boy. Hard to sum it down while also leaving enough information in so that you could follow along. But uh, I will do my best to take you through the plot summary of Mirror Mask. <sighs> Boy, here we go. The film begins and we are introduced to Helena Campbell a 15-year-old girl who would much rather spend her days drawing than participating in her family's circus. One night, Helena has a vicious fight with her mother, finishing with Helena insinuating that she wishes her mother was dead. Are all of those kids in there? They want to run away and join the circus. Great! They can have my life! I want to run away and join real life! Helena, please! No. Be reasonable. Come on, open, open the door. Helena! Okay, okay, I'm getting dressed! There is no need to shout! I am not shout! You can be the death of me. I wish I was. Soon after, Helena's mother has a medical emergency, collapses, and is rushed to hospital. Some weeks later, Helena's mother is still in hospital, and Helena is staying with her aunt Nan in a rundown city apartment. Helena has plastered the walls of her room with drawings of a vast cityscape half of the buildings in light, and half of the buildings in shadow. Helena's guilt about her fight with her mom is heightened when she finds out that her mother is scheduled for surgery that evening. That night, Helena is trying to sleep when she hears violin playing. She follows the sound out of the apartment and finds herself wandering an unknown city road. She comes across a troop of jugglers, and they are all attacked by an encroaching black shadow. Helena and one of the jugglers, who later introduces himself as Valentine, just barely manage to escape. Valentine explains that his troop was trying to flee the city, which is being overtaken by the Dark Queen's shadows. Soon after, Helena is arrested and brought to the Prime Minister, who recognizes that, while Helena looks like a certain princess, she isn't her. The Prime Minister explains that they welcomed a princess from the Land of Shadows into their city, but the princess stole the Queen's charm and fled. This broke the balance of the world and caused the White Queen, who looks exactly like Helena's mother, to fall into a deep sleep. Helena takes it upon herself to try and find the charm. Unfortunately, no one knows what the charm is. Helena and Valentine set off to find more information. Along the way, Helena realizes that when she looks into windows or mirrors, she can see her room in the human world, complete with another version of herself. Valentine can't see Helena's visions, and he also doesn't seem to believe that the world is potentially ending. Instead, he's more focused on what reward they may get, and the fight that he had with his flying, sentient tower. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. 
Eventually, Helena and Valentine come across two giants orbiting in the sky. The Dark Queen's shadows attack, but the giants are able to give Helena the name of the charm, the Mirror Mask. They also give her a clue to get higher, as well as a box containing a silver key. After a run-in with a shopkeeper and her hungry sphinxes, Helena and Valentine stumble onto some strange half-bird, half-ape creatures. The creatures are friendly, that is, until one of the Dark Queen's shadows arrives. It latches onto one of the creatures and forces it to grab Helena and run off with her. The other creatures and Valentine pursue, and are eventually able to free Helena. At this point, the creatures reveal they can fly, and they take Helena and Valentine into the sky. While flying, Helena spots something twinkling on the horizon. Believing that this is what the giants wanted her to see, Helena asks to be taken to that location. They land, and while looking around, Helena sees a vision of her mother, who gives her advice on how to find lost things. Now you're looking for something, now you know it's here, but you can't find it, so look again. I bet it's just like your Aunt Nan's teeth. It's probably staring you right in the face. The vision of her mother fades away, and Helena concludes that, if she's in a dream, maybe she can influence it. She imagines a small building, which appears before her. Inside the building is a window, and more importantly, a column with many locks. Helena begins trying to fit the silver key into the locks, but the ground begins to shake. Looking out of the window, Helena sees her lookalike, who Helena now recognizes as the Dark Princess, tearing the drawing Helena is in off the wall. The princess places the page into Helena's drawing of the Land of Shadows. Helena hurt her arm in the shuffle, and so Valentine volunteers to go off on his own, taking with him the silver key. Shortly afterwards, Helena is caught and brought before the Dark Queen. While Helena tries to explain that she isn't the princess, the Dark Queen doesn't care, content with the replacement. The Dark Queen also reveals that Valentine has turned Helena in for the reward money. Helena angrily watches as Valentine takes his reward and abandons her. After he leaves, the Dark Queen sends Helena off to be redressed by strange automatons. The process seems to put Helena in a trance, and she begins playing the role of daughter to the Dark Queen. Elsewhere, Valentine returns to the strange building with the Column of Locks. Eventually he finds the right lock for the key, and opens a drawer to find not the mirror mask, but a note from the princess addressed to her mother. Dearest Mama, as by now you may have realized, I have found the mirror mask. I will use it to go away. There are other places. I'll find one with another girl in it like me. A life I can take. Stupid, 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 stupid. <laughs> of course. If I use the mirror mask, it may upset things a bit. But you can't run away from home without destroying somebody's world. Valentine returns to the Dark Palace and finds Helena, telling her she was right about the world ending and the girl behind the mirrors. The entranced Helena isn't receptive to him at first, but snaps out of her days when Valentine tricks her into juggling with him. Back to her old self, Helena rationalizes that, if she was the princess and had something to hide, she would hide it in her bedroom. Helena and Valentine begin searching the princess's bedroom, and Helena remembers the advice her mother gave her about finding lost things, that, most of the time, it's just staring you right in the face. Helena presses her face up to a mirror in the princess's room, and when she pulls it back, the mirror mask is sitting on her face. Helena and Valentine flee the castle, searching for a window so that Helena can use the mirror mask to bring the princess back home. 
Before too long, the Dark Queen realizes Helena has escaped. She sends her shadows after her, but before they are overcome, Helena and Valentine are rescued by Valentine's flying tower. (laughs) (laughs) Meaning I had to write it into the fucking summary. (laughs) Inside the tower, Helena finds a window, just in time to witness the princess tearing down all of Helena's drawings, destroying Helena's connection to the real world. The princess goes up to the roof of the apartment complex with a bag of the drawings and a box of matches. Unfortunately for her, Helena not only drew on paper, but on the apartment complex itself, including the door to the roof. No! I'm not going back! This is my world! No! I like it here! I just want a real life! Real life? You couldn't handle real life. Helena uses the mirror mask to swap places with the princess. As she's doing so, balance is restored to the other world, and the White Queen wakes up. When we next see Helena, she's asleep on the roof of the apartment complex, back in her old clothes. Her dad finds her and wakes her up, and we find out the surgery was successful and Helena's mom is going to be fine. The film draws to a close, and we see the reopening of Helena's family circus. While juggling, Helena is bumped into by a man, the human version of Valentine. The film ends with him and Helena sharing a laugh together. The end! I just I want to like this movie I think is the problem because like it has a lot of stuff that I feel like would have really resonated with me if I had watched it around the time it came out or even if I was like a little younger because I would have been like in in high school when this came out so maybe if I was in like early high school, junior high, if I had seen this, this probably would have been, like, kind of my jam at the time. So I really want to like it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, I I think, it's funny because I remember picking this DVD up shortly after I got really fixated on Labyrinth, which was in my mid-teens. So I, I, Never bothered to watch it, though, until I huh. was in my late 20s. I just had this DVD in my collection for the longest fucking time. And I don't know, I just never just never bothered to watch it. So yeah, I do wonder what I would think about this movie if I had that, if I was closer to Helena's age. <laughs> See, and I remember, because I think around, like, just after high school... Or near the end of high school, and for a couple years, I worked there for almost five years, but I was at Toys R Us, and I worked in the electronics department, which is where they had all the DVDs. And I remember seeing DVDs of this bundled with, I think, the Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. Like, it was a three DVD pack bundle. And I was always like, 
huh, I've seen these other two, but I wonder what this third one is. And it was, it was always sort of a, should I buy this? Like, should I pick this up so I can, I can watch this other movie? Cause I like, I think I like the other two. So like, maybe I should buy this. And I just never did because I was a teenager and had to save my hard earned. Yeah. <laughs> when, you're, when, you're, when you're working for minimum wage and when that, yeah. that DVD costs you one hour of your, your paycheck, then yeah. Yeah. It's like, eh, maybe not. So I just, I, I was aware of this for so long, but I never actually watched it. So, mm-hmm. and like, I probably, it's probably good that I didn't spend my money on it at the time because I would have been in my late teens and I don't know if this would have hit right for me at the time no, I bought it. Probably not. I, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, I, 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 that, that pretty much sums up my my thoughts about it too um i think i so as mentioned i i had first watched this a a good few years ago with some friends and i did not like the film it has since grown on me with this last viewing and i think at least part of that is maybe i can kind of see where helena is coming from in part of this film um I without getting into too much detail, I just relate quite a lot to some of the feelings that she had to go through. Um but otherwise though, like there's just some some other stuff that really stuck out to me in this last viewing, like the the beginning of the film when we see Helena and she does not want to be part of her mother's circus. Like yeah. this is she she and her mom have this big fight in the beginning of the film because Helena is supposed to be going on and she's nowhere to be seen. And so her mother is running around trying to figure out where is my kid? We've got a job that we need her to do. They have this big dust up where Helena and her mom are just yelling at each other. And Helena is so, it feels like, I, I don't know the best way to describe it, but she is not just reacting to this fight in a I'm a petulant child and I don't want to do what my mom is telling me to do. No. Helena feels very genuinely distressed over the fact that she does not want to be in this circus and she... she, It's it's a buildup of resentment at this point, I think. Because it's like... Yeah. It feels like like she's a teenager. She's been doing this for who knows how long. She didn't shoot... So like... You as a as like a mid teen are a human being who is now aware that you like you have thoughts, feelings, desires, and you want to do things and you want to have things a certain way, but you're still young enough that like you have to listen to your parents and you don't really have that much agency yet, and it's like mm-hmm. it's it's a hard age, <laughs> yeah, and it feels like she is like. This is, like, I am old enough to know now how I want life to be, but I have no ability to have it be that. So she really resents having to having to deal with it. Yeah. She, she does not want to be part of the circus. She is embarrassed. She tells her mom that she, she thinks, you know, people are going to think she looks like an idiot in her costume. And... It, so Helena starts crying so quickly in this scene, yeah. and I 
I relate so much to that because I, I'm also a crier. If I experience <laughs> a, a strong emotion, be it stress or sadness or anger. And for her, like, it feels like Helena goes from zero to 60. And I've had that. I, I oh, understand yeah. that so much. When you are on the edge and any little push just sends you fucking careening over it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's, so it's I, I I totally get, yeah. Yeah. Just related so much to that. I actually, I do not like Helena's mom in that scene because she kind of ignores how distressed Helena is. And I guess from her perspective, she has a job to do. This is their family business. They need to make money. They need their daughter to be part of this. And she is in the trailer playing with sock puppets and being upset. Yeah. But at the same time, Mum is also, like, kind of guilt-tripping Helena about, like, this is your dad's dream to run this circus. And I, I, you know, it doesn't justify Helena's comment to her, but I could see why things really, like, escalated quickly with these two. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, yeah, absolutely. Because it's like, it's, you, you, <coughs> oh, God, excuse me. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> there, there's, there's, uh, if you hear me coughing or clearing my throat at, in the middle of sentences in such a way that cannot be edited out by poor Christy, it's because there's, there's fires in my province yeah. and the air is, is not great and my lungs are so mad <laughs> anyway yeah um, no two people are not on fire no two people are not on fire <laughs> there's uh, another <laughs> there's another homestar runner reference for mike who is the only person who, who will probably get it thank you mike uh, thanks mike um <laughs> uh what was i saying I don't know anymore. <laughs> oh no, we're too busy make, making home store rudder references. I'm sorry. Oh no. It's okay. Oh. It's <laughs> I guess what like the core of it is like her oh, it's her mom is not I I like from a perspective of an adult seeing this now, I can see where it's like a parent might have a hard time being like, oh, my child is at an age where they want agency over their own fate, but I still, like, they're still my child, so I still feel like I should be able to, like, have some sort of, like, say in their shit, but, like, also she's 15 and she wants her own things now and she's not being cooperative like she would as just a kid and it's like, ah... Yeah, but it doesn't justify any any of the between the two of them. But you can see where it came from. Yeah, on both sides for sure. It it's something that this film so the and this whole scene right away when you see the scene in the movie, you think, okay, I kind of I guess I can make a guess where the rest of the film is going because you think it's going to be a reconciliation between Helena and her mom that after Helena's mom recovers that, you know, maybe she learns to let Helena free herself a little bit. And maybe Helena in return, she appreciates what her mom is doing. And we kind of see this because the whole thing with the dark queen 
the villain in this um, is an evil woman who, I guess I didn't mention this in the summary, but the Dark Queen is played by the same actress as Helena's mom. So it's it's not just her as the White Queen, but her as the Dark Queen as well. Yeah. And the the Dark Queen's whole thing is that she basically treats the princess, her daughter, as like a, a an accessory to her. She is what Helena thinks her mom is, but to a huge, like, exaggerated extent, where mm -hmm. the Dark Princess has absolutely no say in what she does, and no actual affection from the Dark Queen. It's just, you are my plaything, I will dress you, you will eat what I say, yada yada yada. So, it again, it, it feels like that's, that's Helena's the worst vision that Helena has of her mom, and she has to do battle with it over this film. And there's also this other part, too, that it's sort of hinted at at one point when Helena and, her, and the vision of her mom are talking in the movie about the lost things. It's sort of implied that it's maybe Helena's mom dreaming herself, and it's crossing over with Helena's dream. To come home now. Mm. I want you to be okay, Mum. I'm scared, Mum. I'm scared too, love. So I'm having this dream. Do you think they've started to operate yet? Maybe everybody gets dreams like this when they start poking around in your head. It's not your dream, Mum. It's mine. <laughs> That's the kind of thing people say in dreams. On some level, it's the shared experience they're having. And so it's like, if that's true, then maybe it's not just Helena having to deal with this exaggerated version of her mom. Maybe it's this exaggerated version of her mom having to deal with Helena. And so yada, yada, yada. It feels like the movie was sort of setting up Helena and her mom to have a compromise at the end. Like, Helena gets to see how much worse she could have it, and <laughs> and maybe her mom sees what could happen if she doesn't lighten up a bit on Helena and let her start making her own decisions. So yeah. you would think at the end of the film, you would maybe see, like, you know, maybe Helena is still at the circus, but maybe she gets to, like, I don't know, go and do, like, something she wants to do. Or maybe she, like, helps out, sells tickets, and then she's like, okay, Mom, I'm gonna go hang out with my friends now. And Mom is happy with that. You know, like, you helped out at the family business, but you also get to do your own thing. Yeah. In Instead, we just have Helena happily juggling in the circus, and I guess we're just left to assume that she... Is fine now, it's and fine she doesn't now. mind. Yeah, it's, it, uh, yeah, that's it's a little. The ending is a little meh. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. The end. Yeah, the uh, ending. Yeah. Also, just some of the plot in general, or just like not <gasps> even the plot, but the pace. I guess it just it it drags where it shouldn't. It's, it's, things take a long time. I think at least part of that is that Helena has these various events and 
like set pieces like she wanders through it's sort of like an alice in wonderland thing where she's going from set to set yeah um, from cgi render to cgi render. <laughs> yeah um, but it is it doesn't really feel like a lot of those scenes have anything of value um no like you have so the the okay we gotta tell you about the giants first um okay so the yeah the the giants i actually kind of like the giants they are oh yeah they're like these like like living stone creature thingies maybe but i uh, yeah i guess it's, but it's two of them and they're sort of one of them looks like it's constantly like lifting up and the other one looks like it's weighing it down so it's like they're perfectly equilibrium to just sort of float a little ways above the ground mm-hmm yeah, which is and kind then, of neat. I like. I like them. I, yeah, I like that, and I like it's you know when the dark queen shadows uh, the giants. She doesn't like kill the giants. She just pulls them apart, and so the one, the one that floats ends up floating untethered into the sky, and the the heavy one ends up crashing and sinking into the ground. Yeah, so that was kind of cool because that was like a thematic thing, and I don't know. They just sort of seem like kind of mystical and spooky, which I liked. Yeah, but um, these giants do so much for Helena in their scene where she they give her the name of the mirror mask they get they give her the hint to go higher and they give her the silver key and i kind of feel like they should have only given her one of those items and the other clues she has to find in some of the other adventures she yeah. has yeah like they have this whole thing at this mask shop with this old woman who like she just kind of it's a rambles. nothing scene it's a nothing scene like we only they go into her shop and helena goes into the bathroom and she sees like another vision of herself or the the princess rather and then she comes out and the old woman says like a little tidbit about all oh, the mirror mask and like that that's it. Like she just says, the mirror mask is just an item that concentrates your desires and wishes and gives you what you need, and that's it. They get that bit of information and they go on their way. And her sphinxes try to eat them. Oh God, the sphinxes are so bad to look at. <laughs> I hate looking at them so much. And I know I like no shade on the designer. This is this could be just a me thing, but God, I don't like looking at them. They're, I, yeah, they're, I don't enjoy that design at all there yeah yeah oh god i need to i need to think of how to <laughs> they're like i just it's a cat a body C it's a weird cgi cat body kind of mm -hmm. but it's like it's like a human face has been pulled across where the cat face should be yeah like stapled on it's uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> It's just, it's one of those things that they're obviously, they're very deliberately trying to be, like, weird and creepy with it. But I just, something about it just doesn't quite, it's not weird and creepy for the reasons they want. Yeah. I'm uh, looking it up on Google now and it's so fucking bad. It's like, uh, I, I haven't, I have yet to, uh, uh, watch what we do in the shadows. But I have seen pictures of of one of the characters, and it's just like his face on a cat. <laughs> I don't 
don't oh, know yeah, what the yeah, context yeah. is, but that was all I could think of. Oh, I forgot about that moment. Yeah. <laughs> I need to see what we do in the shadows. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's like, it's just a face stapled on a cat. Yeah. I haven't, so, I haven't seen so much. I haven't seen the series yet, but I saw the movie and the movie is very good. Oh, one of these days but, I'll, I'll watch it. But, but yeah, like you have, you have these scenes, like she should have, they should have like, I don't know, tried to spread out the stuff that she had to, the, like her quest items. She should have got them doled out to her over the course of the movie. And then I think like this, the random escapade she goes on would have felt like they actually had more reason to be in the film. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, like, they spend a lot of time going to all these different places for these different set pieces or whatever, and, like, things happen, but, like, they take a long, they just take a long time to happen. Yeah. And it's just, I get that it's probably meant to be sort of slow and moody and really get you into the sort of atmosphere of the film, but there was definitely, especially closer to the, like, the back half of the movie where I was like, okay, can we just, can we move this along? Like, we're, mm-hmm. we're, it's, I, I, this has been, y'all have been walking slow through different <laughs> blue screen yeah. effects for a while, and we can, we can speed this up just a little bit, please. It, you know what thought just came to me is that this feels like if you took a Neil Gaiman book and you just shot it exactly as it was written and you didn't try yeah. and like edit it for screenplay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like it's the story is is pretty good. The story yeah. like the writing is good, the 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 aesthetic is very unique. <laughs> yeah. I think if it was just a little tighter, it would feel better. Yeah. If, because like, it just didn't take so long to get to where it was going. Yeah. It's it's funny. <laughs> I I can almost picture it now where, because if you're reading the book, you're probably reading Neil's lovely descriptions of these areas and it yeah. builds that sense of like foreboding. But when you're just watching people walk across a green screen it doesn't have the same effect walk across a green screen with 2000 early 2000 cgi effects around them yeah you Ugh. if if you were bothered by the pace you must have fucking hated that scene where valentine eats the future fruit i hated that scene <laughs> i didn't so like pretty- it it's so I've- Nothing. It, there's no it's, point to it other than to make a silly joke at the end. Yeah. It like, comes at it's such a bad place, too. Oh, it's so bad. It doesn't make it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make no. sense for the character. It doesn't make s- any difference in the movie. It's just a bad scene. Like I'm, yeah. I'm gonna say it. That's a bad scene. <laughs> and no, it it hundred percent is. It's so it's it's right after Helena and Valentine are fleeing the dark palace. They're running along, and you know time is of the essence. Shit, you know the, the world is find ending. Out. World is ending. Queen's probably gonna find out. They gotta they gotta find a window. Get 
fucking princess back. And Valentine happens to see a fruit along where they're running, and he's got to stop everything because he's a hungry boy and he needs to eat. <laughs> and so he starts eating this fruit. And this is my favorite part of the scene. Is this random ass fucking woman <laughs> shows up? We have never seen her before. No, she's, she's not just a, a random lady that apparently just hangs out by this fruit. Yeah, she just shows up. The exposition witch. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, oh my god, I love that. It's, yeah, she is an exposition witch. She just shows up and she's like, and she just, like, starts mumbling some stuff about, oh, that's the future fruit. If you eat this fruit, it shows you a vision of your future. The holy people, they eat the future fruit, and then they bring back words of wisdom. Sometimes they write whole books. It's wonderful. Takes one fruit 300 years to grow, my petal. Not bad. Rather yummy, actually. Why do they call it a future fruit? Because that's where you go when you eat it, my love. And so we see Valentine sees a vision of his future where as the world is ending, he grabs the mirror mask from Helena and uses it to escape. Like he ditches her again. And it shows him he's now in the real world and he's trying to adjust and he gets a job as a waiter and he sucks at it. And that's when the vision ends. And then he and Helena go on their merry way, and then the rest of the film plays out, you know? Yeah. And and it just, it brings everything to such a screeching halt. It doesn't do anything for Valentine's character, because... God, no. At this point, we're already supposed to believe that he's, like, reformed. Like, he's had his arc, where he stops being... A shithead. Yeah, a shithead. (laughs) who Who just wanted a reward... And he's now actually trying to save Helena. Like, he kind of apologized to her. The scene does nothing but no. stall for time at a moment where it's very infuriating <laughs> to stall for time. Yeah, it's, like, it's rough. Because it is. It's, like, maybe they were, like, oh, if he didn't see this, then his character would grab the mask as a self-preservation thing. But it's, like, he's already done that. Like, he's already yeah. did the arc where he got his reward got the fuck out of there like but then he came back and that was the whole point of that and then to show like oh no he still needs this extra bit to be like to make sure that he wouldn't be an asshole at the very very last minute it's like did you need that or could you just have had the scene where because it plays out then that they get to the, like, he calls his tower back and they get this fucking sentient tower, shows back <laughs> up, and they find a mirror in there. And she's at the wind, at the, at the mirror and she's like, give me the mask. And then that's the scene that he sees play out where he, like, takes the mask and goes through. But then in reality, when it actually happens, he just, like, hands over the mask you couldn't have just had like a moment where he like looks at the mask and looks at the mirror and looks at the mask and then hands it to her. Yeah. Like, he's like, this is an idea I I would have had, but I'm just going to do it. Instead, he was like, it's like, no, he had to see what would happen and that it would make him like make him have a bad time. 
to make sure that he doesn't do this. And it's like, all right, okay. I, I you mean, know, it just sort of solidifies that he's a shithead to the end. Yeah. With you spelling it out like that, it makes him even that much worse because that it implies he only helps Helena at the end because he, again, he saw a vision of the future where it didn't work out for him anyways. Yeah. Like, if, if he saw... <laughs> If he saw a vision of himself in the future where instead of being a waiter, like, I don't know, he had, like, a good life in the human world, would he, would have He like, would have oh, oh. taken that mask and run the hell away, and that would have been it. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. <laughs> what a shithead. Fuck oh, off, Valentine. God. <laughs> God. <laughs> Yeah, I never thought of that. But yeah, it it would have been way more impactful if he just yeah, like you said, had that moment where he was like he considered Or even it. even even if he saw the 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 if oh god, if he had seen a good future for himself, if he took the mask and went through and like he saw that if he did that, he would have a great life. But then at the end he would choose to still give her the mask. Yeah, yeah. That would have been real good! <laughs> yeah! But maybe that's just not... I mean, I'm not gonna be out here. I'm not... I am not gonna sit here and be like, I'm going to critique Neil Gaiman's story choices. <laughs> Clearly, there might be just something I'm missing. But, like, maybe. I don't know. Feels a little weird to me, is all yeah. I'm saying. I again, I am the target demographic of this movie as the <laughs> the diehard Labyrinth fan, and I agree with you. So take that, Neil Gaiman. <laughs> you you do not yourself. beef with Gaiman. Don't no, Neil. He, I'm, I'm coming for no, you. No, he uses the internet. I know. He there's. I, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Could you imagine? Fucking Neil oh Gaiman just is just like a secret <laughs> subscriber. To our podcast, he he makes a call out post for us on Tumblr. Oh my god, that'd be the, the only social media that I know he has. Yeah, and he frequently uses for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> no, we respect you, Mister Gaiman. Please, please I, don't come for us. We're we're but yeah. a small podcast. Yeah, I should say I I really enjoy Neil Gaiman's work. I <laughs> yes, I, I me honestly too. <laughs> I do. I do. I've read a lot of his books. I um Ocean at <coughs> Oh god. Oh god, Neil's trying to use a psychic attack to bring him down. Oh, no. <laughs> oh god, I'm sorry. He's using, Mr. His, Gaiman. He's, he's using his dark powers. Oh my god. Oh my god, he's just writing on a page that Christy said oh, no! choke and die. <laughs> <laughs> because he, his power is coming true. Oh god. Oh god. But no, I, I really, I <laughs> genuinely, I genuinely enjoy his work. I really enjoy Ocean at the End of the yeah. Lane. I would recommend yeah. that if anyone wants like a spooky, creepy book to read. Yeah. Um, I just, I, again, I just feel like there's just a bit of polish that this movie could have done. Yeah, it just, it could have been just, it is like what you say, like when you, the, the, if someone took one of his novels and just translated it one-to-one to to screen without, without Mm. adjusting any of the pacing. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I have no doubt that 
I, I, I know there is a novelization of this movie. I, I'm tempted now to pick it up because I do feel like with him doing his his wordsmith magic, I'm I'm sure that it probably flows a lot better in a written form. Yeah. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Plus, like the sort of disna- the disjointed nature that you can get from a book. Where you mm-hmm. just sort of accept that chapters can happen separate of each other and in and, and ways like that. Like, I feel like that would really lend itself to how this book or this movie kind of goes through. Where it's like there's different chapters and they're sort of, they're connected, but they're disconnected. And I could see that in a book really flowing better than having like the scenes right next to each other, you know? Yeah. Yeah, or or even having, like, weird moments where, again, like, Valentine is eating the future fruit, and Helena is just, like, in the background being like, come on, let's go, dude, like, come on, like, just awkwardly standing around while the exposition witch talks to her, and yeah, (laughs) like, they could just say in the the book that that's what that future fruit does, and it wouldn't have to be a whole scene with the exposition witch. (laughs) Random ass character wanders on set. Let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about this fruit, and then I'll never <laughs> be seen again. Goodbye. Yeah, is she even there after he's done? I don't think so. Uh, I'm gonna have to rewatch that. She just like fucks off while he's having this vision. <laughs> <laughs> no, because he like he eats the fruit while she's talking, and then he sees his vision. And after he leaves the vision, you just see like a wide shot of the forest they're in, and him screaming, "I don't want to be a waiter." Yeah. And then it just cuts to them continuing on. <laughs> I hope they at least so you don't goodbye. see her after. You don't see anything. It's just, <laughs> it's just done. Oh god. Me too. Oh god. Thanks for I, stopping I, by exposition. Yeah, witch. she was just so excited to have a visitor. No, not many people come out that way, and she just like, oh, I don't. Let me tell you about this. It's like when you go into a farmer's market and there's the stalls there and you start perusing and the shopkeeper comes up and starts telling you all about the the little tchotchke they have for sale. And it's it's that vibe where it's like, oh, thank you. Uh, Thank you. I I don't really like I'm I was just looking. I was just sort of perusing around. And now I feel bad that I've taken your time and you've explained all this to me. Yeah. And I still don't want to buy your stuff, but I, I appreciate that you took all the time to, like, engage with me. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna, oh, oh, I think, oh, I'm getting a call. I'm getting a phone call. Um, I'll come back. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I'll Thank you. definitely come back. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to yeah. keep, I'm just going to keep walking through and do my, do like a lap around the place, but I will, I'll try and like swing back after. Yeah. And then you have to leave. <laughs> You have to leave and then resolve never to go to that farmer's market again in no. case she recognizes you. Uh, yeah. I, I should, I feel like I should point out, we've kind of talked about, yeah, like some of the visual aspects and like this film not, maybe not having as much pause as it should. I, I should highlight that this film was not intended for a theatrical release. It was always intended to be a direct-to-video release. And so okay. with that in mind, I'm sure the budget was yeah. probably set pretty firmly in stone, and they could only do what 
they could. Oh, yeah. And, like, to be fair, the the stuff that they try, I don't think I've seen anything quite like this mm-hmm. um, done uh, bef- before or since. So it's, it is incredibly unique. I have no doubt that they've developed a lot of, like, a lot of really interesting and novel ways to like put scenes together and animate things and like integrate characters into that like technically i feel like it is very impressive Mm -hmm. it is it is wild and strange because it is i i you can feel that from this film but also it just doesn't the pro- the end product do- I don't think quite hit the mark, but no. you can tell that it's like they were they were really pushing the limits of two thousand and five technology for the budget they had. They were going for a very specific style, I, I, like yeah. The, it's I I. There both there things was can exist at once. <laughs> yeah yeah. It's. I th- one constant of the Jim Henson company is that they have always tried to innovate and often you know that doesn't mean that you're always going to come out with a great product at the end of it or a great looking movie but they at least seem to be a company where they really try and encourage innovation with themselves and with their employees so I really yeah. I do respect them for that I I I I I almost wish that this movie I wish that it either happened later or earlier. And by earlier, I mean, I wish that this had maybe been something they tried to do back in their heyday. Like, in, you know, the era of Labyrinth, when they could have done this with practical effects. Because, mm, yeah, I I have to admit, like, it, I do have this hang up with how much of the movie is CGI. And it's... I think because we know the Jim Henson company can do amazing practical effects. Yes. And it did not make sense for them to do this film practically with the budget. Obviously, it was not in the cards. And yet I can't help but yearn for that because I feel like that would have done so much to draw you into this world that they're trying to create. Yeah. I even like... Like, honestly, like, some of, like, the real-world locations, the few ones they have in the film, like, the circus and even the apartment building. Yeah. It's so much more engaging to me than the CGI world. Like, that apartment is just, like, kind of, it's just, it's creepy because it's both, like, really decrepit but also kind of, like, sterile and devoid of life. Yeah. And it, it looks cool and it's real and it's interesting, but then they go into the CGI world and... I'm just so hyper conscious of how none of this is real. Yeah. It it I, and I think like the unrealness of it also is like I know you mentioned the the guy who's like sort of behind the art direction, the like uh the uh, one director who does a bunch uh, of the art for Dave McKean. Yeah, for for Game and Stories. I feel like his his work translates very well in like it looks great in 2d and then you translate it into 3d and it 
it isn't meant to be. Um, so like, I feel like if they had tried to do that with practical effects, they would have had to adapt it rather than, I guess they still adapted it for CG. I feel like it just would have adapted maybe better into sculptures or animatronics or puppets or something that are yeah. meant to be less mobile and but instead they tried to put it onto cg and make them move a whole bunch and they're not meant to yeah does that make sense <laughs> i i think so yeah like it it kind of forces you to be i i guess almost like yeah I, I i know what you mean i'm having a hard time trying to describe it too I'm just picturing Hoggle's face for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> but, like, Hoggle is such an expressive little character, which is impressive because he was essentially a mask that the actress um, had to wear over her head while Brian Henson was puppeteering him from offstage. Right. Um, and so he does, like, he's got these animatronics built in. And... Again, yeah, he's like, he's he has these limitations to him, but he feels so much more real, and maybe it just really comes down to he is real. Like, even though he's not alive, he's a real thing that you could walk over and touch, and that alone breathes so much life into him. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just, I'm thinking of, like, like, the weird little sphinx cats. Yeah. Like those as as a a CGI thing is horrifying because it's just a live action man's face stapled to a CGI cat creature. Yeah. But if they had made that like a like a puppet or something like that where it was a realistic man's face but it was on it was integrated into this creature instead of just <laughs> stapled on. Yeah, yeah, that probably would have helped stretched over it a together. polygon. It, it it might have worked a little better because when you see the drawings that Helena does of these cat creatures, because they are on her wall, because it's implied that they're you know it's all from her from her drawings. <laughs> I could see that becoming like a really neat puppet. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. Because it all looks like one beast rather than what it is yeah. in the film. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I wish I've. It's interesting. I wish there were more puppets. It would have been fun. And yeah, but I mean, you can see where, like the 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 practical effects budget, um, I guess probably wasn't as high as it could have been because maybe it all went to the seat like the masks because the when the people are wearing masks they are uh like valentine wears a mask through the whole movie and that that's a dude with a mask on his face and it looks pretty good it's a nice yeah. mask it's well done so like that sort of stuff is cool it's a it's a I mean, it's creepy looking because it's it's based on this art style and it doesn't, it's, I don't particularly care for the design, but that's a matter of taste. Um. <laughs> well, in Valentine's, like, Valentine's mask too, it's almost, 
it's like a almost like a prosthetic. And I was trying to figure out yeah. is this meant to be a mask or is this his face? Because he comments says it's his mask. Uh, he, but, uh, he comments on how Helena doesn't have a mask and it's fucking weird. <laughs> Everyone has a mask in this. I yeah. I guess it was just so this this is another thing that bugged me, and, and I guess it's just this overall this unifying issue of unified design in this movie. So you have Valentine's mask, where it's very geometric and it's very specifically shaped, and then shortly thereafter we meet the prime minister. His mask like, sucks. Yeah, it's, it's just <laughs> so it's, bad. He's like, no shade, no shade. I don't know what they were, maybe they were aiming for it to look like that. Maybe it was sort of, maybe they had no budget, no time. Maybe this is just a creative choice. But in my opinion, his mask is not good. It looks like someone, it it looks like like a high school project. Yeah, (laughs) just like something, like it just looks like random bits dangling in front of his face. Um, Yeah, it does not look good. Now, I, I should say that allegedly, I haven't found, like, a good source for where this comes from, so I don't know if this is just people theorizing, but allegedly, they wanted to get David Bowie to do a cameo as the Prime uh, Minister. So oh. if that's if that's true, then that might be why the mask is so insubstantial, because if you get David Bowie for your film, you want... It recognizable that you got <laughs> David Bowie. <laughs> but then they would have had to have David Bowie, because, like, the whole thing is that the the prime minister is played by the same actor as her dad. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if that would mean that they would want, they would have tried to get Bowie to play her dad, or if he just would have been a random-ass character in the mirror world or the other world, whatever yeah. you want to call it. I. That's why I don't know... I don't know if I could believe this factoid. Yeah. Um, I mean, there is an, uh, there, there, there's another bit in the film that feels like it is very much a labyrinth reference where um, when Helena meets the juggling troupe in the alley, oh, yeah. the, the, the contact juggling balls, yeah, like, that's, yeah, yeah. A good, that's a Jareth move yeah, right there. That's a Jareth move. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's... You know, you know what CGI creatures really fucking ruled in this though what oh oh let me guess the the bobs and malcolm yeah the pigeons <laughs> the buff pigeons the gorilla oh birds i love them <laughs> they're so fucking weird they're so fucking weird. They're, I feel like it's because their heads are so simple. Like they're just they they have a very simple design, but they're so fucking weird and they're pulled off so great. And I love them. I love the Bobs and Malcolm so see, much. That like that, that their simple heads kind of threw me off because you have I the sphinxes. You have the sphinxes with their human face, and then you have where they they look like Pingu, but with even less detail. Yeah. They look great. <laughs> I wanted them to go newt, newt. No, yeah. Oh, they're beautiful. I love them so much. They, that I should the best, that They were literally the best part of the movie for me was these fucking fucked up penguin yeah. pigeon gorillas. And they, they all introduce themselves. Them. They all introduce themselves and literally all of their names are Bob except for the one which is named Malcolm. And he's like, I don't know, the black sheep of the 
weird <laughs> weird fucking bird ape creatures. Oh, they're so good. I <laughs> I adore so fucking them. Weird. I don't know why. I just oh. When and when they like they they get the they help them escape from like the nightmare creature stuff, and then they like they bring them to to the safety, and then one of them gives Helena a hug, and they all just like glumph off, and it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That was the best uh, part of the movie. These <laughs> oh God. Uh, yeah, I. <laughs> creature design in this is just i i don't know like i i think of again i think of labyrinth you had goblins you had hoggle ludo and the fireys they were all very different creatures but they i feel like they all felt like they belonged in that world yeah whereas if yeah again if you compare the sphinxes to the fucking bobs and malcolm and then to like valentine everyone is so different in style, and I don't know if they really belong in the same world, but no. then maybe that's, is that the point? Like, Probably. It's a dream world. It's supposed to be weird. Ooh. And then there's like, there's the bit at the end where it's like the the queen of darkness or whatever is with her like council members or something, and they're discussing what to do because the world is ending, blah, blah, blah. And there's like, there's some fucking creatures in that room one of them looks like fucking it's got the head of rom the spider from bloodborne like this is terrifying <laughs> and, rom and, the vacuous spider and the and the dark queen is just having this like pleasant conversation with with them i remember i just remember like she gets a weird outfit change in that scene and i don't know why but she's wearing like this big feather boa kind of thing yeah she just felt it, like dressing it's up. So I guess. bizarre. Can we can I'm we talk show you about Rom the vacuous spider? Oh, thank you. Can what can we talk? What can we talk? Jesus Lord! <laughs> I just saw that Chrissy <laughs> sent me a picture of the fucking horrifying cat creature space. <laughs> I, what so the fuck glad. is that? It's like a, it'd be like a statue. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad that oh you found that eventually. It's it's like oh. it's fucking. You know what it's, it's reminding me of? This particular statue, um, Tony J, our beloved... To oh, Jesus. Oh. The, there's a spider thing. That <laughs> Marie just sent me from Bloodborne. <laughs> but... Oh, but oh, Tony... Miss Spiders! Yes, Sunny Patch! Called? Miss, Sunny Miss Patch Spiders! Kids. Sunny Patch Kids! Oh, wait. Oh, what is this? Oh, that's not a good gif of him. But Spideris... I see Tony him, though. <laughs> <laughs> Spideris was was Tony J's. Oh, here's a better one. Oh, he just he God. looks so fucking weird. Why did they? Why did that? they? Why is he like that? All the other characters in that show are like these cute little bugs with like the big eyes, and they're so cute. And then there's fucking Spideris. Yeah, with his human face stapled onto a spider. <laughs> Stop doing this. Is a terrible design choice. Don't do this. It's just it's wonderful. Did you ever see, um, I wasn't like, I didn't watch Miss Spider Sunny Patch Kids, but I, I would be channel no. surfing and I would see it. But did you ever see when Spideris got a girlfriend? What? I'll, I'll, here, let me, let me post this so you can see her face. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like Mac tonight. 
don't know. Like, who designed this? And I guess maybe those are... <laughs> we did this. Fucking Mac tonight. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. I have to put all this fucking shit on Twitter. Oh, my God. Fucking... <sighs> Did you you know that's Doug Jones in that Mac tonight? Costume, oh yeah! Right? Oh yes! Don't oh, you yeah. worry. Oh, it's so good. Oh, Doug Jones. <laughs> I'm crying. Jesus I Christ! Guess... Oh. <laughs> so yeah, oh. um, cons- consistency in design matters, people. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Oh God! Okay. <sighs> 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 oh, <laughs> God, I know. Gotta take Horrible a breath. Horrible little children. I know. This is fucking terrible. Horrible little human-faced spider children. Look at the poor. Look at the sun on the left. That poor kid. The sun looks like he's got a square head. He looks like fucking Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Oh, uh, Spideris looks like he's trying to figure out where his life went wrong. <laughs> Far off gaze. Oh lord. Okay. Uh, oh my, my lungs hurt. I know. We're both for oh. early thirties, so we're we're winded just yeah. by existing. <laughs> oh I uh, the last the last bit I wanna bring up with uh the art is I don't think how they chose to light a lot of these scenes do the visuals oh, God. any good. God and no. everything mm-hmm. is overlit. It's got blooms and, and, and not lens flares, but almost. Yeah. All over the place. And And everything is blurry. Yeah. And it's very, like, everything is very high contrast. And this is, this is a visual thing. So it's something that's going to be a little hard to explain through a podcast. Um, Yeah. But... It's very important in scenes to have them lit in a way that establishes an obvious point of focus. And I've been in a few art workshops, and one of the assignments that stuck with me was that you take a a screenshot from an animated film, reduce it to three shades, and study how the scene is set. Because regardless if your shades are white, gray, and black, or like three different shades of gray, whatever, you will find that the biggest point of contrast between your distinct shades is where your eyes are meant to look. You know, it's usually where the characters are standing or where, like, an an important bit in the scene. Like, look here is basically what the light is supposed to tell you. Um, Disney's Cinderella is a fun example of this because in that they often cheat and it's almost like they have a spotlight following Cinderella around. Mm. So they'll see, like a pool of light on the ground and that's where Cinderella will stand at one point. Um it's like it's almost like like having a spotlight on us on an actual stage play where it's like Yeah. This is the person you're looking at. This is the character. This is the part of the scene. Look here. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And Mirror Mask does not do this. <laughs> and as no, a result God no, not at all. <laughs> yeah. And as a result, I often find myself struggling to, at a glance, take in a scene because there's always this extra mental processing needed to identify where my eyes should be focusing on. Yeah. You know, like, where where is Helena at a quick glance? Oh, there she is. Like, she's, you know, in that, she's that tiny extra bit of contrast in, like, a sea of contrast. Yeah. And 
because that's happening, I think that contributes to this feeling of not being sucked into this world. Like it's, I think that's part of why I feel like I'm constantly reminded that this is a green screen. And even I actually saying that too, I think sometimes they were hampered a bit by having to film on that, that oh, absolutely. blue screen. I can only imagine having to be like, having to act most of a film in front of, of screens and not having the mood and the everything else established by what you what you get from being physically in places and i know a lot of films and a lot of tv shows and a lot of stuff um uses that technology now uses green screens etc etc but like excuse me it's a it's just it always feels it, it it can feel like these these poor actors are having to act in a void with each yeah. other. Well, infamously, like, um, Ian McKellen on oh the, god, the I Hobbit always think movies. of that poor Ian McKellen. Yeah, the infamous oh. story of him breaking down in tears because he was on a green screen just by himself with no other actors, and that's not like that's not what he wants to do as an actor. Yeah, it's so sad. Yeah, I uh, it's. It's probably, it's tough for the actors. I think it's also probably tough for the directors because, well, okay, like, as one example, the mirror mask itself, this, this is like a fucking nightmare (laughs) to try and film on any kind of mirrored object on a regular set. You have to make sure. Absolutely awful. Yeah. You can't. Even people with glasses, it's hard. Like, it's. Yeah. In a lot of old TV shows, they would sometimes have glasses without any lenses in them because it was a bitch to try and film around the glare. Yeah, yeah. Um, Billy from Power Rangers, uh, the Blue Ranger, back in the day, they actually they had a special thing on his lenses to remove the glare. And apparently in later seasons, the reason why he stops wearing the glasses is because whatever coating was on the lenses was fucking up his eyes. Oh, God. What the <laughs> fuck? Yeah. So, like, anything with reflections, that's a bitch to film on a normal set. And they, of course, they built the movie around having to find the mirror mask. Yeah, and, all and... of these mirrors and reflective reflective surfaces. It's like, oh, yeah. Oh. And I think as, like, as a result, so in a movie where you're pursuing a magical MacGuffin, when you finally, when your characters finally get that MacGuffin in their hands, you want a scene where you get to behold it and really take in, like, this is the thing that we've been pursuing (laughs) Uh and we finally have it. In this movie, probably because it was such a bitch to film around, when Helena gets the mirror mask, it's like very quick. Yep. Like, okay, okay, quick close up and then we're done. We gotta move on. Let's yeah. get out of the castle. Let's go. We, we can't linger on this because then we'll have to render the whole scene and have it reflected in the mask. And we can't. Yeah. It's, that's a lot. That's a lot to do today. It's just a pain in the ass. We gotta. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. You. You end up, you do see it a little bit more towards the end of the movie. And I was trying to figure out if, because it's that shot where Helena is, there's a window on the door to the roof. Right. And and Helena is there. And 
I was trying to figure out, like, did they have, did they film her on a green screen and then paste that over the door? Or was she just physically standing behind the door in that scene with the mirror mask? Because maybe that, if it was a practical effect, maybe that explains why you got to see more of the mirror mask mm. in that instant. That would make sense. But I, who knows? But, I mean, regardless, I like, show us, like, the mirror mask. You know, no, it should... Don't look at that. No. Don't worry about don't it. Don't look. It's really to, hard. Yeah, it is. It's real fucking hard. <sighs> I just, oh, yeah. Hey, hey, Christy. Yeah? A quick question for you. Uh, yes, not to do with the mirror mask or anything. What was with the um, automaton clock? Yeah. Saying, Why do birds suddenly <laughs> appear? Just, yeah, or the automaton ladies in the in the music boxes that sing a song and, and put Ella, Helena into a trance and sing a song that doesn't match with the rest of the movie? I, my short answer is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> is, I, this is, this is the one scene that really stuck with me of this film. Because, yeah, it's these automatons dress Helena up and sing to her. They, they and put like, her in her goth phase. Yeah! They paint her nails yeah. black, give her some dark makeup. Yeah, spike up her hair. It's real cool. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't... It's, it is... It's it's a creepy scene. I almost wish that the rest of the movie kind of matched that tone because I feel like, yeah. I don't know, I kind of dig it. Yeah, like it, it's spooky and weird, yeah. but like... It's I I do I liked the scene. Yeah. Also the the choice like there's a few characters like this in the film where it's it's um like the weird automatons and the the librarian that they see at the the library earlier where it's like it's this fully weird CGI character, but then they didn't want I guess it it would be fucking hard it's fucking hard to do lip sync it was two thousand and five. So what they did is like almost like paper cutouts, but they have mm -hmm. like just the f like a live action capture of someone's lips and and yeah. like mouth doing the the audio like someone it's but it's just like pasted on. Yeah, this like is almost a collage kind of. This thing. is like an animation deep cut for for folks out there. But Clutch <laughs> Cargo, if you've ever seen Clutch Cargo. That's what it yeah. looks like. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just like like footage of someone's mouth pasted onto this CGI character. It's yeah. very, very unsettling. <laughs> it yeah, which but like I in get... a decent way. I, I I didn't mind that. I would rather have just the fucking weird mouth than the whole face like the cats. Yeah, yeah no, that's ah! true. No, that's I I agree. Like it it is like a fun effect. I feel like, it, yeah. If maybe like the CGI was a little bit better, or if the lighting was a bit better, I think it would come across as even even like I don't know, nicer looking. Oh. Christy sent me a gif of Clutch Cargo. <laughs> yeah, just please, I honestly please look it up. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to make a list of all the weird shit of Ted. We talked about so much weird shit on this episode. I'm gonna have to post a picture of fucking Spideris and, and his girlfriend. 
and then clutch cargo. I should just, like, post it without any fucking context. Like, tough shit. If you want context, listen to the episode. Just Halloween episode mood board, and it's just fucking Spideris clutch cargo. Yeah. (laughs) Four images with no... (laughs) With no explanation. Yeah, guess what film we're doing, folks, and then I post up these four images. God, I'll do it, though. (laughs) Okay. Oh, God. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, oh, Lord. oh my god. Oh, we didn't I'm looking through my notes. There's not a lot. Just... Uh... No. Should we briefly talk about like the just like what the princess is up to in the real world? I guess well, she's, well, she's doing what a teenager does when she has no agency uh and <laughs> is an, uh, is raised in an extremely strict household. She's rebelling. Yeah. So she she starts dressing like a, uh, I think it's like a in the punk style, like it's like, it's sure. sort of a it's two thousand five, almost emo, yeah, like it's punk emo, kind of goth, but like it was the version of it that I almost had where it was like you want it but you don't have the money for like the good oh, yeah, <laughs> the yeah good punk yeah. And, emo and goth stuff where it's like you just kind of have to uh, it's like a walmart goth yeah you don't have a hot topic in your mall so you got to do with what they have at claire's yeah yeah exactly yeah. so she's like she's dressing up like that she's like yelling at her dad she's having boys over she's smoking so it's like it's it's typical teen rebellion stuff mm-hmm. which kind of just makes me feel real bad that she has to go back to her terrible mother yeah you don't like it sucks that like like she has no right to, to take over helena's life in this no. dream world or whatever whatever happening she it, it's wrong of her to do so but seeing how she's treated by by the Dark Queen or whatever, it's like, you get it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you, it's, it's, it's sad that there isn't something in the movie to suggest, like, what, what even happens to the princess? Like, you just kind of have to assume that she goes back to her shitty existence with her mom. Yeah. It's, and, and it's kind of fucked up. Apparently, so there, I forget if I mentioned it before, but there is a novelization of this movie. And I guess according to that novelization, the princess and the Dark Queen reconcile a bit. Oh, Um, well, I mean, that's good. Yeah, it's just, again, I wish it was in the movie. Um, Although that said, I... I did see, according to TV Tropes at least, apparently Neil Gaiman has said, probably on his Tumblr somewhere, um, (laughs) but apparently Neil Gaiman has offered up another um, uh, uh, impression, that's not the right word, another uh, uh, interpretation? Thank you. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Another, (laughs) thank you for being my my second brain cell. Um, Another interpretation of the ending is that um, when Helena uses the mirror mask at the end of the film, she merges with the princess. And oh. that's like, because there's that shot of them where they're forming two halves of one face. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes and if, sense. 
And if that's the, if that's how you're meant to interpret it, then that, I guess, would kind of work out, because then the princess, if the princess and Helena are one and the same, then at least the princess through Helena gets to live a happier life. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a, I like that. I like that better than just, she's sent back into yeah. the world with her, with her terrible home life that caused her to rebel and run away. Yeah, to to rebel and run away and not care about anyone else to the point that she was happy. She was fine if the world was destroyed so long as she got to live a happy life. Yeah. Oof. Oof. Teenagers. Oh, it's hard. It's hard to be a teenager. I look back at, at Lil Bree and I'm like, man, you... You you made some choices, but you were going through some stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it is you I mean, you put it very well in the beginning of this film where it is just that you are starting to become your own person and yet you you keep running into walls because you can't take full ownership of yourself and with good reason. Like I, yes. I don't think we should be handing over a 15-year-old you know, the keys to their own apartment and telling them, like, good God, luck. no. But it is, yeah, if you have parents who don't know how to let go or, like, how how to, like, guide you on the path of trying to figure out how to be a, at a fully formed adult, it's, you just end up with a bunch of feelings and emotions and you don't know what to do with them. Yeah. Being a teenager is very, very hard, I think is the... <laughs> Is the the crux of this movie? Yeah, it is hard to be a a person in the middle of your teen years and deal with this shit because you feel yeah. like you're old enough to be a grown up and you and an adult and make your own choices, but also it's you know it's you're still like young and and still developing your whole sense of self. It's it's teenagehood. If, if if there's anyone out there who knows teens or is a teen or is anything like that, have compassion, have understanding, because God, it's hard. Try yeah. to remember how fucking hard it was. Yeah. <laughs> if you're past and it. Just, yeah. Uh, life is hard. Teens yeah. are hard. <laughs> being a being a 33-year-old adult is hard. Oh, God, I'm even older than that. Oh, oh, no. I'm still waiting for David Bowie to come and take me away. <laughs> That'd be nice. Yes. I fucking would. God. <laughs> I don't ask for much. Just give me a little fucking hey. hut somewhere in the Goblin Kingdom. Do I have to um, pay rent in the Goblin Kingdom? Yeah, actually. <laughs> does Jareth require taxes? He just kind of <laughs> like, let all the goblins do whatever the fuck they want. Uh, man. Yeah. Well. I mean, so I guess, I guess as we're wrapping this up, mm -hmm. I, I have complex feelings about this film because I feel yeah. like the longer I sit with it, the more endeared to it I will become. Um... The act, the the like, act of watching it was, eh. But I feel like the the story and everything is what will stick with me much more. 
Yeah, this is one, again, I, I wish that it could have been made at a different time because I feel like it would have been a much stronger film for it. I I liked, I, I, enjo I enjoyed the discussion greatly and it's sort of a shame that I yeah. feel like I can't quite recommend this film for people to watch because it is, it's not a good movie night. It's not a high energy no. movie. It's, no. it's. If you are a completionist, if you like Labyrinth and Dark Crystal, I would say check it out at least once because, I don't know, it's just, if anything, I, 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 it's good to appreciate what the Jim Henson company is trying to do. Yeah, like, go into it as just sort of a, like, to appreciate what was, what was going on technically and stuff like that in in uh in their early 2000s mm -hmm. like take take a look at what was because like there's there's movies from there and stuff like that blah, blah blah but like this was is something that i have not seen before and probably won't see again and it's just it is it's its own very unique little thing and yeah i think that's worth looking at yeah, nicely put. Oh, I think that is going to pretty much sum it up for this one. I did want to take a just a quick second. We got an email, Brie. <gasps> an email? Yes. Um, so we recently did an episode about the Princess Twins of Legendale. And in uh -huh. that episode... We had many questions about, uh, like, just, like, what, what did the deal with this movie was? Because, you know, we talked about this feels like it should have had a toy line and there wasn't one. Um, so one of our listeners, uh, Rado Doodles, uh, so he wrote in to say, uh, uh, so he wrote in to say that he can confirm that Legendale was a planned toy line. He says, uh, it's funny because those questions you were asking yourselves were the same I had at some point. The thing is that one of my professors in college worked on the film and designed the layout stuff, which Whoa. looks way better in 2D. Uh, I, I still have some of that artwork somewhere, including background and character design, <gasps> as he would use those in class when teaching about storytelling. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. so cool. What the heck? Uh, Serrata goes on to say the film and toy line were eventually canceled by the first movie. Or sorry, the film and toy line were eventually canceled, but the first movie got released once the company realized that Frozen, a film about two sisters, princesses, oh. and magic, would be released by Disney in late 2013. Oh. Yes. So the fact that like the the only reason that that actually ever even got released was because Frozen was a thing. Yeah. Interesting. And it, yes, very fascinating. I I I thought about mentioning a potential Frozen connection in our episode because yeah, they were released in the same year, but I wasn't 100% convinced it was intentional, so I was a little worried that it might be seen as a reach, but it is it was really interesting to get this email and and confirm at least like According according to Rada, that yeah, this this was, or well, it didn't start as a mockbuster, but it kind of ended up, <laughs> you know, yeah, kind of in, in a weird way. 
Interesting. Oh, that's so cool. Thank you so much for your email, Rita. That's so cool. Yeah, thank you. And uh, if, heck. if you would like to email us uh, questions or comments or whatever, you could email us at badprincessmovies at gmail.com. Uh, we also have a Twitter where I'm going to be filling it with so much. <laughs> you could find that at badprincessmov. And we also have the catalog of Bad Princess Movies, which you could find at badprincessmovies.com. Thanks for joining us, everybody. This I feel like this was a this was a good discussion. It was this I, was a very interesting movie mm, to talk about. I liked it, and I didn't. I I only talked about Labyrinth like maybe four or five times, so that worked out. You you really held yourself back. I did. I didn't even mention how I'm trying to teach myself to contact juggle. No, no. Now you've now you've mentioned it. I had to squeeze it in. Everybody needs to know. Be <laughs> accountable. I could do one trick maybe 60% of the time, everybody, and I've been doing Hell it for yeah. a month. One Hell trick. Hell yeah. One day, one day I, I will be Jareth. <laughs> you will be. You're on, the, you're on your way. I'm going to fucking waltz into that goblin kingdom and take over. I'll be like, your look at this. Now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's my kingdom now. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I'm fucking bad at these endings. Happy Halloween, everybody! Oh yeah, happy Halloween! I hope this happy movie Halloween. was spooky enough. Ooh, so spooky! Ooh, Bye, spooky. everyone. See you next time. Bye. Ooh. <laughs> Just like me